Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. I don't know about you, but this has been a really hard week. Anybody had a hard week? Anybody in the house here had a hard week? See a couple of you. Thank you. One of my kids had a very difficult week. Uh, she's been hurting all week, and, and it's hard as a dad to watch your kids struggle, isn't it? Y'all know that. Uh, man, as I've been with you in the highways and byways of life this week, I, I know that a lot of you are, are hurting. Um, Joyce Hutcherson, I don't know if you are aware of this, but she lost her husband, Dale, on Friday evening. They had been married for 65 years. It broke my heart to watch her as they took his body from the house, realizing for the first time in 65 years she would sleep alone. Last week on the way out of church, a lady let me know that her husband had recently died and she had been married for even more years than that. A graduation, if you don't know, is coming up, and I know that our students are hurting because a lot of friendships will change. There's some dads that I joined in getting emotional up here with, because I don't know if you noticed, but all those were girls, <laughs> and it messes with a dad's heart when their daughters are graduating. I know this from personally being with you that some of you are experiencing painful and hard things in your families. Some of you this week have been taken advantage of. There's probably somebody in the room today who has been left out. You've been left alone. There's a good chance that somebody in this room may feel absolutely hopeless and helpless today about something you're going through. I can also imagine that some of you are still holding on to some very painful things that happened years ago, and today something may just trigger you and you will go back to that very horrible place. I want you to know this morning that there is help. I want you to know this morning that there is someone who can comfort you that there are people in this room who care deeply about you. Here's something though that, that I've come to know through my many years of ministry. And that's simply this, that the word comfort makes people uncomfortable. We even start talking about how to comfort people who are going through hard times. Many of the men, especially in the room, will be like, all right, we're going to talk about emotions, and I'm out. Huh. Many people are so hurt, they don't even want to receive comfort. And that's uncomfortable. Maybe today, if I were to put the sermon in a sentence, I would say this, that maybe we need to move out of the comfort zone and in to the comfort zone. 
Maybe we need to get uncomfortable so that we can help comfort people. And that's an uncomfortable thing to do. If you're new with us today or you've been listening or tracking along with us by way of internet or those kind of things, I want you to know that we're continuing to be in this series called Foundations. of Loving God and loving people. And our aim is to use the one another's in Scripture to help us deepen our love for the Lord and also to people. Remember, we talked about this earlier, that God's love is something that He gives to us, and we just respond to His love. And really, when we get that right, we're able to love people. When we love people, we begin to remove people's aloneness. We've been talking about in this series that the way that we remove aloneness in people's lives is through meeting these things called relational needs. We've been talking about a lot of those. We've been talking about acceptance, and we talked about appreciation, and we talked about things of that nature. Today, we will move into this topic of comfort, because here's what I know, that when I'm hurting and you comfort me, I feel a little less alone, but I also feel deeply loved. This series on these relational needs, you can find a a QR code in your bulletin. You can find a link to our website. You can find some hard copies of these 10 relational needs based on the one others in Scripture. And you can go there, and and I just want to challenge you to kind of figure that out because as you think about what your needs are, you can communicate those, and then the people that you're in a relationship with can communicate those, and you can really begin to hit the nail on the head when it comes to relationships. I remember... That for the longest time, and this is just my wife and I, we do this, and I have our permission, but I can just tell you that for the longest time, my wife, I could ask her, I could say, Rachel, when do you feel loved by me? And for the longest time, my wife can honestly say, well, I don't know when I feel loved by you, but I can tell you when I don't. And it took us a long time to figure that out until finally we figured that when I would enter into her world, when I would just stand in the kitchen for an hour and a half and just focus on her and just ask her questions and just engage and she could ask me questions and I wouldn't put things off, I would just engage with her as deeply as she engaged with me, that by meeting that need of attention, that's when she felt most loved by me. And then finally, when we began to discover that's the need of attention, she would say, that's when I feel loved by you. It helped us tremendously. A couple of my top needs right now in my life currently are approval. We're going to cover that one here in a little bit. I need to know that people know that my character matters. Appreciation is based on what you do. Approval is based on who you are. Who I am matters to me, and I need people affirming who I am, that they know really who I am. And, And I have a huge need for comfort right now in my life. We've been through a lot the past couple of years, and so... Knowing that. So why is this important, guys? Relational closeness in marriage and family or in church is experienced when these relational needs are met. And when they're not met, we're not close. We're more alone. So let's turn in the Bible to focus on this need of comfort today. If you've been with us for a while, this may sound a little familiar to you. <laughs> we're going to come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you need a copy of God's Word, there should be some in the pockets underneath the seats around you. This passage will also be up here on the screen, so you can turn your eyes here. But let's read God's Word together and listen to our Father speak to us this morning. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of what? Well, four of you are reading with me. Let's try that again. The Father of mercies and the God of what? Okay, so he's the God of all comfort, and a better translation there could be the God of every comfort. And what does he do? He comforts us in what? All our affliction. For what reason? So that we will be able to comfort those or in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Wow, that's powerful. Notice the context of that verse. This is Paul's second letter addressed to the Corinthian church. It was written by Paul when he was experiencing the most personal pain that he had been through, and he's very transparent with his view of how he viewed himself to the church. Paul was being slandered and falsely accused, and he was trying to let people know that he was a trusted spiritual leader of the gospel. And Paul shares transparently with the church about his own struggles and how he experienced comfort and how his need of comfort was met. And the need of comfort is met by caringly responding to a hurting person through words, actions, emotional responses, or physical touch. But here's what I want you to get today. It is heart to heart. It is not your head to their head. It is not your head to their heart. It is based on heart to heart. To comfort someone means that I truly hurt with them and express to them what's going on in my heart because their heart is hurting. Our English word, comfort, helps us with this. The prefix com. calm. It simply means with. The word fortis, you would know from the word fort. It means strength. So to comfort someone means that I come alongside of them in such in a way that I strengthen them in their despair. We come along and impart strength to people who are hurting, going through painful things, disappointment, sadness, discouragement. Well, how do we do that? We do that with the other word that's closely related. We do that with a word called compassion. The word calm, again, the prefix means with. Passion, you may have heard of the passion of the Christ. It's related to suffering and death. So we enter into their suffering. We enter into their death. We enter into that with things that move us from the very inside And when we do that, we comfort people with our compassion. We just don't stand outside of it and say meaningless things that attempt, uh, that hopefully we hope land as comfort. We go to a place where we know and understand what they may be feeling. We go to a place where we have felt pain and we recall it. And then from our hearts, we let them know what's happening in our heart because their heart is hurting. Comfort is not met by me coming from my head and not my heart. Many struggle to give comfort because they struggle to get in touch with their own emotions. It's just really a fact, right? Many of us come from our head and our rational thoughts and hope that somehow we can just spare people pain so we just want to get them out of their pain. But what we're called to do is sit with them in it can't get anybody out of it. 
If you need comfort this morning, some of the things that may be true for you would be it's very important that others respond to you with gentle words and feelings or maybe just touch you so gently when you're going through hard times. You might feel comforted when others put their arms around you and just sit with you. You might like it when someone even cries with you or they get filled with emotion when, when they know something's hurting with you. You love to hear these words, I'm, I'm sad for you. My heart is deeply burdened that you're carrying this. I can see that you're disappointed and, and I love you. I feel a lot of compassion for you. If you like that kind of language, comfort may be a top need of yours. So let's go to that text that we just read and let's just pull out a couple of things from that that can help us remove each other's aloneness by knowing what comfort looks like. First of all, I just would say this to you, that life is hard so we all need comfort. Life is hard. Life is very hard and painful, and we need comfort. Jesus said in John 16, Jesus said this, These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Has Jesus ever lied? Guess what you and I are going to have? But take courage because what? He's overcome the world. Another pastor that I know says it this way, don't let your troubles trouble you. One of the most difficult challenges, though, is dealing with pain in our lives, but doing it alone. Stepping in to meet that need of comfort can remove that aloneness. Life is hard for all of us, so we all need comfort. But why, Paul? Why do we need comfort? Well, he tells you there, and I just told you, Jesus said, but we all encounter troubles. We all encounter troubles. Look there in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Did you see that? That is an interesting word there. That affliction means anything that causes pain or distress, suffering or calamity. From the biblical point of mind, affliction began with entrance of sin into the world. Both mankind and all creatures were afflicted with thorns and thistles. Sin, death, and decay. And because of that, misery is a common human experience and our life is short and full of trouble, Job says. It's impossible for human beings to avoid natural calamities, physical injuries, interpersonal conflicts. But yet God uses all that in the lives of his people. He uses the word afflictions nine times in just a matter of a few verses. And then he throws in this verb in other places for for hardships and hard-pressed and being harassed. Troubles are experienced by all Christians everywhere. And the Apostle Paul probably most likely endured more than you and I will ever endure. But Paul said that this kind of trouble helps us shift our perspective from the external and temporal to the internal and the eternal. And beloved, I need you to know today that all of us are going to encounter trouble, so we all are going to need comfort. That's what Paul is saying. But then we all encounter tribulation, and that's a different kind of trouble. He says there in verse 5, he says, but just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Did you see that? The sufferings of Christ are ours. That's a different kind of thing than trouble. Now we've moved into tribulation. You and I are going to suffer, beloved. Jesus even said this. Timothy even says this. 
If you follow Christ, you will be persecuted. How many of you know that to be true? So we need comfort. It's not just stuff that happens in life like death and natural disaster and and losses and disappointment. Just simply because you call yourself a Christ follower, trouble and evil will find you. Notice the need of comfort Paul had and the reason it was aimed at him when he writes there in the same chapter, just a little bit earlier in verses 8 through 11, he says this, For I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction that came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Do you hear that? Wow. Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and yet he will deliver us. You also join in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Rather than gloss over, listen, this, Paul is a manly man. I need you to know that. And rather than just gloss over this emotion and just over this despair and helplessness, Paul actually expresses it. He shows how apart from from God and, and prayer, man, life is just tremendously hard and he needs people to hear it so that they can respond to him, that they can pray for him. He doesn't just try to man up and just just own it and just pretend that it doesn't affect him. Paul says, if I don't share it with you, you can't care about it. If I don't share it with you, you can't pray with me about it. So men, especially in this room, I'm begging you to get okay with sharing when you're hurt. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 through 6, Paul says this, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted. On every side, conflicts on the outside and fears on the inside. But God, who comforts the discouraged, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. Like Paul, we all have troubles and tribulations in those times, and you're going to need comfort, right? I remember telling you the story years ago, but Samantha's mother asked her to walk down the street to borrow a cup of sugar from a neighbor. And her mother was in a hurry to finish a recipe, so she expected Samantha to come back to her in a few moments. I mean, after all, the neighbor only lived three houses down the street, and much to her mother's frustration, Samantha took a lot longer than was expected. So her mother was quite irritated and a little worried and demanded an explanation when her daughter returned. And Samantha, the little girl, then explained to her mom that on the way home, she met her friend who lived next door, and the friend was crying because her favorite doll has broken. So her mom said, well, then you stop to help her fix her doll. Okay, I get it. And she said, no, mama, I didn't stop to help her fix her doll. I stopped to help her cry. And guys, I'm telling you today, I need you to hear this. You live long enough, something's going to break in your life, and you're going to need somebody to cry with you. It's just true. But notice this, I need you to hear this today. No matter your spiritual maturity, I think Paul was pretty mature, don't you agree? No matter your biblical knowledge, I think Paul kind of knew, he wrote most of the New Testament. Your life experience, the season of life that you're in, it does not matter, you will not escape the need for comfort because life is hard and we all need comfort. Secondly, this morning, I want you to know this. 
But God is good and He sends comfort. So we all need this comfort, but, but where does it come from? That's a good, good question. What's the source of comfort? Well, Paul tells us. First of all, he says the Lord seeks to comfort His people. It's the Lord who seeks to comfort His people. Look there in verse 3 again. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Notice he starts with this word blessed. Worship is expressed to God for mercy and his comfort. Blessed is this Jewish expression of praise called the barakah. It's the blessing, if you will. And Paul praises God that he is the source of comfort in our affliction. Then Paul says he's the father of mercies. That word mercy is, the, is a word for pity. It's a feeling. Listen, in the Greek, it's amazing. The, the word, I won't try to impress you with my Greek, but it's the word oiktos. And really, it's, it's onomatopoeic in some way, and that is, is this. It's what, what happens when God sees your pain. God says, oh, because it hurts him. He has mercy. Oh, it hurts him. God doesn't like to see your misery. It's incredibly close. This word mercy is incredibly close to the word compassion that we talked about earlier. Compassion is showing kindness or favor or being gracious. And what it means to look like in flesh, lived out to have mercy on someone. You often read about Jesus being moved with compassion in the scripture. The reason he's moved with it is because it's it's how Greeks would have thought about this. How how those people in that day would have said, they would have said, listen, I have compassion. In other words, I'm moved Splankidzomai is the Greek word. It, it means to be moved from your bowels for someone. Well, see, our minds, we instantly think, well, that's just gross. But to them, they say that was the deepest part of who they were. They were trying to come up with a way to express, I am moved from the deepest part of who I am for you. And I moved in such a way that I have to now do something with it. That's having compassion on somebody. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what God does. When God sees your despair, when he sees your hurt, when he sees your loneliness, he's moved within him to do something about it. Our God deeply cares for us. That's why Paul says he's the God of all comfort, or or like I told you before, better uh, just translated, he's the God of every comfort. That word is paraclesis, or you've heard the, the word, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is our comfort. He's the one who comes alongside of us. That's who God is. He's the one who comes when you and I are in pain. This is our God. He's merciful. He's moved with the O of our trouble. This is our great merciful God, the God of all comforting, and our suffering is great, but Jesus offers great comfort. Here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus was full of compassion and offered incredible comfort as he encountered lonely, hungry, tormented, rejected, sorrowful, abused, hurting people. An example of that is found in John chapter 11, and I I beg you just to to work with me just as a moment as I set the stage for this. We're going to read the scripture because the scripture has the word, not me, amen? I want you to see Jesus. I don't want you to hear about me talk about him. John chapter 11, you've heard this story before, but work with me here. 
Verses 17 through 44. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Well, who's been in the tomb? Lazarus. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them during the, concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, how many times have you said this? Lord, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha's like, yes, I know that on the last day he'll rise again and the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes in the world. And when she said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher's here. He's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly, went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, here it is again, Lord, if you'd have just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, pay attention to these words. This is not just theological. This is telling you something incredible. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, it did something And the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply, here it is, moved in his spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse. See, when Jesus is moved for other people's pain, it moves him with emotion. And the Bible says Jesus wept. Now watch this. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? Why do we sing a song? Oh, how he loves us. Oh, because it's right here. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of blind kept this man from dying? So Jesus again deeply moved within him. Don't miss that. Came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone was lying. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha the sister, she said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be a stank. Oh, it says there'll be a stench. Okay, my bad. Verse 40, Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God for they removed the stone? Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Lazarus got up. Now, I've already told y'all this before and it ain't original with me, but I'm telling you, I stole this and this is good. If Jesus hadn't have said Lazarus come out, guess who was coming out? Everybody was coming out. See, so he had to clarify. I just need Lazarus right now. That's a good word. That's a good word, church. But listen to me. Jesus, when he saw these people in their pain, he was moved by it. Jesus could have come sooner, but he chose to delay so that God would get the glory. And by this, we know something about our Jesus. Listen to me. Don't miss this. He's a Jesus who cries with you and for you. He's a Jesus who weeps for you. And that'll give you reason to glorify him. Jesus had the power to stop that simply by being there. He could have raised Lazarus from a distance, but he chose to allow it so that he could show them that he really cares. 
Christ's prayer revealed that he knew what was going to happen. Jesus would make Lazarus alive. Jesus will work all things out for his good and his glory. By his response, though, we see that our God weeps for us. And the result of that is that other people would come to believe him. Other people would see that he knows of their love. So you're saying, well, what's that all got to do with me today? wonder if we could just maybe take a moment right now for you to go in your imagination or maybe in your reality and think about a painful moment in your life. Do you have a painful moment in your life? Maybe a rejection? Maybe a death? Maybe you were kicked off the team? Maybe you've just been laid off at work. Maybe this week you heard the doctor say you have now this disease. Maybe you're here this morning and your boyfriend broke up with you last week. Maybe you don't want to finish the school year because you've been bullied all year. social media and you can't get anyone to believe you and you just feel so hopeless because your reputation has been ruined maybe you're here this morning and you just simply believe that you're ugly
don't know how you would picture him. You, you can picture him however you need to. But now you begin to walk closer to the bench and you can tell that, that this, this Jesus of yours is weeping on that bench. And then you hear him praying and now you begin to listen in and you hear him praying for you. He's weeping for you as he did with Mary and Martha because he, he's heard you right now in your heart disclosing that pain. He heard you. He heard your thoughts just now. And he's weeping and praying about your loss or your hump, your, your, your hurt or your pain. And he's moved with compassion. And from that bench right now, would you allow him to raise his head look at you with those tender tear-filled eyes would you let him see you in your pain right now would you now allow Jesus to stand to his feet and place his arms around you special time for you this morning he's not so preoccupied ruling the world that he can't see his child hurting would you hear Jesus say these words to you as he's embracing you my precious child my heart is sorrowed as I see you now I'm burdened by your pain and by your loneliness heart is deeply moved for you. I am here for you. I love you and I care about you and all that you're going through. I'm never going to leave you. in 2 Corinthians. It says, He comforts us in all our affliction with the, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we ourselves are comforted. So, with the comfort that now we've received from God, we're able now to go and comfort others. That's exactly what the Lord wants to do. The reason He would comfort you so that you can comfort others. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, let's skip down to verse 6 of that, but it says this, But God, who comforts the discouraged, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. So how did the God who comforts the downcast comfort Paul? He sent Titus to comfort him. I call this the Titus touch. You may have heard it, the Midas touch. 
the Greek God of mythology, whatever he touched turned into gold. Well, here we have the Titus touch. So when Paul was hurting, God sent Titus because that's what he does, is not only does he send personal comfort, but he sends other people to comfort you. And he will send you to other people to comfort. So when we're going through troubles and hurts and pains and problems and issues, we can turn to the people of God. And we can tell them about what's going on. So our God is good and he sends us comfort and he sends people to comfort us and he sends us to comfort people. And here's what I've said many times. Church, listen to me. The way that God most often expresses his love to you is through other people. That's why we need each other. So look, life is hard. We all need comfort. God is good and he sends comfort. Lastly, very quickly, the body is beautiful and it gives comfort. The body is beautiful and it gives comfort. In verse 4 he says, We who experience God's comfort are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we ourselves are comforted by God. Now listen, I'm going to go quickly here, but this is kind of where the application comes in. You who have experienced God's comfort can join Jesus in comforting other people. The crucial thing, though, is to know what this really is. What does comfort really look like? What does it sound like? Well, let me help you. First of all, be sensitive for opportunities to comfort. Be sensitive to look for opportunities to comfort. Learn to recognize when people need comfort. Like a child coming home from a disappointment at school, a spouse who's been hurt someone on the job. Be available and willing to minister to them in such times. Maybe it's a physical illness. Maybe it's, it's just someone going through a separation or maybe somebody's just under undue stress. They're facing major changes. There's a job relocation. They've had to just move and uproot their family. Look for opportunities around because they abound for comfort. But secondly, I would say this, be sure you're offering comfort. One of the ways that we learn what something is is to understand what it ain't. I know I'm grammatically incorrect. I know that. Any individual, listen to me, does not need your head of understanding, but they need your heart of compassion. So for many of us, this comes off as what we think is comfort, but it's not received as comfort. Let me help you with a couple of things. This is a big one. But using facts, logic, and reason is not comfort. Facts, logic, and reason is not comfort. So let me illustrate it this way. When your child is running way too fast and they fall and get hurt, now is not the time to say, see, buddy, this is what happens when you run too fast. There will be a time for that, but right now, what does your child need? They need to be held and comforted because they are crying. But your facts, logic, and reason will kick in because you don't want him to do it again, and you miss the opportunity for the now to heal his heart. And we do this in adult situations all the time. Facts, logic, and reason, right? We, we do it all the time. Said differently, refrain from analyzing the root causes of their misfortune. Well, you see, the reason this happened was facts, and you start giving them. Well, you know, if you hadn't have done this, or when you did that, this is what happens. That's logic. It's facts, logic, and reason, and it's all true, but is it comfort? No. 
I mean, I've been in funeral homes, standing at the casket. Well, you know, if your dad hadn't drank himself to death, he wouldn't be here. Well, that's comforting. Is it true? Sure, it's true. But is it comfort? No. Giving advice is not comfort. So your friend just had a bad phone call, and you see that they're upset, and then your first thing is, well, you know what? If I were you, I would, and you just start giving advice. I'd go over there and smack him upside his head. I'd cut off the phone. I'd block his number. Is that comfort? No, it's advice, but it's not comfort, and we do it all the time. Giving criticism is not comfort. So, so you're, you know, you, your husband just got a speeding ticket, and he's really upset, and he's worried about how he's going to pay the ticket. And the wife says, well, if you hadn't have bought that beautiful car, if you hadn't have bought that hot rod, we wouldn't be here today. Ladies, that ain't comfort, is it? Is it true? Maybe. But he needs your comfort, not your criticism. Giving a comparison story is not comfort. Because we try to relate, so we say, well, you think you're hurting? Well, man, the other day, this is what happened to me. And then all of a sudden, guess who's trying to get the comfort now? Me. And then if I give you criticism, guess what I'm making you do? I'm making you feel bad that you feel the way you do. That's comforting. Well, giving a mm, church, y'all need to pay attention right here. Because this, this right, I, I'm, going, I'm going to preaching now. I'm going to meddling and preaching, Angie. Here, here we go. You ready? But giving a pep talk is not comfort either. Let me show you how this works in the church. I mean, somebody just going through a crazy divorce or somebody just lost their son in a tragic car accident, and we walk up to them and we're like, man, you know what? The Lord's going to see you through this. I mean, God has got you. You're a fighter. He's going to see you through this. And you just pep talk them all the way through it. Guess what they're thinking? If you don't shut up, I'm going to smack you. Because I know all that's true about God, but it ain't helping me right now. They need your comfort. They need you to say, I, listen, my heart is broken that this has happened to you. But we pep talk people all the time because we just can't stand for people to be in pain. And I'm telling you, we have got to learn that comfort is sitting in the pain with people. It's not trying to get them out of it. That's what the Lord does. We don't do that. We sit with them in it. So then how do we do it? You are very specific with your words of comfort. Comfort is an emotional response to another's pain. Comfort's when I get in the hole with you. I begin to process. I say, what does it do to my heart to see and know and to watch something painful happening in your life? What does that do for me to know that you just lost your child? That breaks my heart. So then I just expressed it to you. That breaks my heart. Man, that makes me sad. I'm feeling sad for you. Well, then I just tell you, that makes me sad for you. It's not this hard, but we just don't know how to do it. So comfort may sound like this. It may sound like, I'm so sorry that you're hurting. You've said more comfort than you probably ever said in your life by those three words, four or five, six words. I'm hurting for you. My heart is filled with sadness for you right now. My heart is breaking for you and what you're going through. This must be incredibly disappointing. I care about that. 
This must be so hard. I can only imagine the pressure you feel. I'm in this with you. No other words. You don't know. I love you and I'm in this with you. That's comforting. I'm on your side and I'm committed to help you through this. That's comfort. You can do that verbally. You can even do that in writing. And it goes a long way. The best thing about comfort is, is the fewer words you use, the more comforting it is. Because the longer you talk, the more you get off into all that other stuff. Pep talks and facts, logic, and reason, and advice, and criticism. Just, they just need you. Here's something else. Be soft with a touch of comfort. A warm embrace, a hand on the shoulder, a squeeze of the hand, a tender touch on the brow can bring comfort. We all know that. Lastly, be still and waiting with comfort. Be still and waiting. Simply presence ministers comfort. Simply just being with them, sitting with them, sitting quietly with them in a hospital room or just sitting silently in a funeral home beside somebody, just sitting at the kitchen table watching somebody weep and weeping with them, not saying a word, brings often much comfort. Remember, remember this, Job's friends were comforting him until they opened their mouth. Just, just remember that. A missionary translator laboring amongst a tribe in the mountains of Mexico, he found it hard to get the right word for comfort. So one day a helper asked for a week's leave and explained that his uncle had died and he wanted some time off to visit his aunt who had just lost her husband. And he said, I, I need to go visit her and help her heart around the corner. And that was the word the missionary exactly needed to explain comfort. So he translated comfort as helping another's heart get around the corner. That's what we're doing when we're offering comfort. Just helping their heart get around the corner. So, as you've come to expect, we got to do the book now, right? We can't just be hearers. We want to be doers, right? And so now that I've equipped you with a tool, there are people in this room right now who need your comfort, and so guess what we get an opportunity to do? We get an opportunity to offer comfort to one another. So let's just do that this morning. So in Romans twelve fifteen, the Bible says to weep with those who what? What does the Bible say? Now, what does the Bible say, church? So you interested in doing the book? This just ain't churchy advice. Well, you know, after you get out of church, maybe sometime during the week, you, uh, the scripture says right now, weep with those who weep. So there are people in the room are hurting. So I wonder if you would pray a prayer with me right now. Just go before God and ask this prayer. Who is it, Lord, that needs your comfort? Right now, would you ask him in this room, who is it? Who can I comfort with the comfort that I've received? Just pray right now. Ask God, who in this room might you want me to give comfort to?
This is Jesus saying this is what the church is going to do. This is, this is what it looks like to be salt and life. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So I wonder if we could be the hands and feet of Jesus right now and do this. Now I know, remember I started out that, that we got to get out of the comfort zone and get into the comfort zone. So a lot of us in the room right now, this is going to make you super uncomfortable. But that was the point I told you up front. So I wonder right now, would you be willing to just stand in groups of five to seven and just maybe one or two people just share something that's on their heart that they're struggling with? And just a couple of people just offer some words of comfort and then somebody in the group just pray. That's all we're asking. That's kind of the invitation today. I know it's weird. It's strange. But I think we have an opportunity to do something amazing here and learn as a body what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Christ. So you're saying, well, I ain't sharing my junk. I don't trust these people not asking you to but maybe you could say I don't trust church people because the last time I did this is what's happened and now we can heal that hurt there's somebody in the room today that I know has got something they're like man I've had a tough week man you know what this whole graduation thing is messing with my heart <laughs> you need comfort so I'm going to give you an opportunity right now just stand to your feet find a group of people Maybe you just want to do it with the people you came with. That's fine. Would you just say, hey, man, somebody share with me how you're hurting, and then you offer some words, and then somebody pray, and I'll give you more instructions in just a moment. Would you do that right now? Would you just stand and comfort somebody? Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an executive call. I feel like if I keep going on, I will afflict you. If you're in the sound of my voice today, I want you to hear me and hear me very clearly because it's not typical for us, but I need you to know I want you to hear me. We're not going to do the singing invitation today. In just a few moments, Pastor Justin's going to come here and he's going to say a blessing over you and he's going to tell you some other things and get you out of here. But, but can I just, just hear me? If you are in this room today and you are burdened today over your sin, you're carrying a load of guilt, you feel tremendous shame, you feel a power that's over you and you want to break it and you don't know what to do, can I tell you today, the God of all comfort wants you to receive His mercy through Jesus Christ. He wants you to know the forgiveness that you can have for your sin and all you have to do is just tell Him that you know that you've sinned and ask Him to forgive you. All you have to do is place your faith the fact that Jesus died for you, he was buried and raised again to offer you new life. And if you make that kind of a prayer and that kind of a, an offering of your heart and your sin to Jesus, he will take it and he will give you new life. And if anybody wants to talk to me or anyone else about that, we will be here and I will be out there to do that.